So how many of you would define yourselves as fighters? Right, ones who like to mix it up. Ones who don't back down when pushed. So um, I think that our personalities kind of dictate what that looks like, right? Uh, some of us, it just takes the right cause. It takes the right issue for us to uh, kind of push back or not take no for an answer or whatever the, uh, whatever the phrase that we like to use is. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about, um, about fighting. As we have uh, outlined in the uh, previous weeks, as we're uh, seeing the church kind of go from a group of Jesus' followers to a people on mission without him there, a people empowered by the Holy Spirit, a people uh, set to do a new thing, right? Be the church of God. Uh, we see them fighting, and, um, and this uh, passage is no different. Uh, I think many times we forget that, um, that throughout the Bible that we are called to fight. And Paul uh, is the one that takes up kind of this language most often. In 1 Timothy 6.12, he said, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in, present, in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. He says that there's one fight worth fighting, and it is the fight of faith. For us, a lot of times I think that faith is something that we are handed, right? It's something that we have done, you know, kind of one time and we have this perspective. But he's saying fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life, which you recall, meaning it's not, it's something that I've got to take hold of. It's something that I've got to fight for. He again says in Second uh, Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. It's not only a fight that we need to be engaged in, but it's a fight that we need to continue to engage in, that this is a fight that I need to keep doing. And he says that as I have done that, that I have finished the course and I've kept the faith. So there's an acquaintance between faith and fighting, that that is, uh, that, a, that a faith that fights is a faith that saves, that that's the type of faith that God calls us to. And then finally, um, lest we uh, miss just the scripture that talks about this the most is Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God, the full armor, so that way we may engage in this fight, and we'll talk about that uh, a bit later. So we are not of those. Um, so, so what we want to talk about this morning is, is that we are not of those who happen upon a, upon a fight, and then we call somebody else to do the fighting. That he has, each one of us that he has called him to himself, he has asked us to join the fight, to understand what fighting looks like in the Christian life, and for us to do battle. Is God's fight a fight you feel is worth getting into? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning in our chapter. And we're going to look at five things that I feel like we need to fight for. So part of God's plan for us is to fight the good fight of faith according to his mission. And his mission is the reconciliation of the world to himself. Anybody seen the, it's actually really old at this point, the old movie The Matrix. Anybody seen this one? Yeah, like four people. Excellent. Uh, it's, on, it's on TNT or TBS about eight times a month. Um, but in this movie that there is, um, there's this fight going on that no uh, not that many people know about and there's basically this team that understands that there's this fight this war that's being waged and so they try to go into uh, awaken people to this fight that is around them awaken them to join them in this fight and so this is very much in keeping with kind of um, Christian ideology and what Paul's talking about here 
that as we are reconcilers, that we are trying to wake other people up to that they are far from God or they are, are missing what's going on around them. And so the first thing, as we're looking at several passages uh, or um, little sections in chapter 4, I want to um, hit up a couple things for you that I want you to um, be aware of. The first one is that we need to fight for Jesus to be Lord of all and Lord of ourselves because we are constantly tempted to move to the status quo. Isn't that so? We can be incensed about anything, right? Like for a, a couple minutes. <laughs> I cannot believe they didn't call that foul. I can't believe they called that foul. I can't believe they called that play. I can't believe that my instructor, instruct, uh, instructor didn't uh, give me the information I needed to do well on this test. We get mad about things but just for a few minutes. <laughs> I am passionate until, eh, who cares? But in all of life, we have to fight for everything that's good for us, regardless of if we think that that's the case. Think about uh, something as mundane as a farmer, right? He plants a crop. Does he have to fight for that crop? Absolutely he does, right? He's got to fight the weeds, the arid, uh, the arid landscape, the lack of rain. He is constantly going to battle for his crop to grow. Or think about the parent who battles for their children. They're constantly uh, straying away with their heart and they are constantly calling them back, right? They are constantly protecting their heart, protecting uh, their mind. They are doing battle for their kids. And what about a husband and wife? that hopefully a husband is fighting for his wife and their relationship. Because outside of this fighting, right, the, the crops don't grow. It doesn't produce its yields. The, the kids don't magically just stay around that their hearts are what they need to be. The marriage doesn't just, isn't just amazing without fighting for it. Right, so good yield, good kids, uh, good marriages are everything that we fight for. In Acts 4, 2, it says, And being greatly disturbed, this is talking about the, um, uh, the, the people in the court, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. After the, um, Peter and John talked to uh, the man that needed healing in front, of the, uh, in front of the temple, he asked them for alms, and they said, Gold or silver I do not have, but what I have I give you. And so we talked about last week that what we want to give uh, is the wonderful God, right? The God who saves, that we want to know him, and that's the only thing that we would think to give in that moment. But when they gave him healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he was leaping, right, excited about uh, his newfound life, that he was telling everybody about what God had done for them. And because they had done that within the temple, they had begun, they had begun to be concerned that, hey, this, this Jesus um, is somebody uh, that is disturbing the peace. He's disturbing the status quo. They were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This is what is against the world, right? That upsetting the status quo, that if we name the name of Christ, if we, uh, if we say that this is what something that Jesus did, this is different from us just kind of doing whatever we want, or saying whatever we want, or that, oh, we can explain everything through scientific reasoning, or 
through or I can do everything myself. This upsets that, well, if I can't do anything myself, I've got to depend on something else. And the something else is there. Here is Christ. The world wants us to stop advocating for power outside oneself, teaching that there is an alternative to this. See, we have to fight for Jesus as Lord of our lives, right, and of all people, because we are so tempted to the status quo. The second thing we need to fight for is doing things according to his power and from the glory of his kingdom. We want to do, uh, do things according to our power and according to whatever we want. Acts 4, 7 says, And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? It takes only what we normally do to try and get what we want. That is what we're used to doing, right? Just, I mean, I can, there's all kinds of things that I can do. I'm used to doing that. Be it God is calling us to say, I want you to live lives that necessitate calling upon me. Living lives that demand that you need me. You need my power to do the things that you want. See, for us, we have this wrong idea of contentment, right? What contentment is, is I'm good. I want to get to the space where I can say, hey, I'm good. I don't need anything else. And what Paul says contentment is, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's completely at odds with, with our idea of contentment, that I just need to be, I'm good. I've got my friends, I'm good. I've got my job, I'm good. I've got some purpose, I'm good. I've got something to do, I'm good. And yet Paul is challenging that idea, and he says, the secret of contentment is knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, there's nothing outside of my control as it regards to his mission that I can't do through him. And so my challenge this morning is you, I dare you to want what God wants. See, most of our lives we have wanted what we've wanted, and we have lived lives according to that. And I think there are times when a lot of us have dared to want what God wants, but it's hard. But when there's something that you really want, right, you're going to ask for it. Hey, hey, can I get one of those t-shirts? How about a, how about a coupon? A day off. I need a break. We will ask for things, and it's, it's so often that, that uh, shows what's in our heart. Is this what I want? I want comfort. But do we want what God wants? God wants others to be reconciled to him. It's a higher calling. Must remember that Christ, if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you, and he is the hope of glory. When you're doing things in his power, there'll be questions and opportunities to testify within culture. Immediately, because they were doing things in his power, there was a man healed, and they were brought to bear for that question, right? What are we supposed to do with this? Why did you do this? This upsets everything. 
We see the power of God. There's nothing that we can do to discredit it. A man's 40 years old, hadn't walked a day in his life, and he's jumping around the temple saying that Jesus healed me, and they're mad. This upsets everything about our lives because we have to respond to it. They ask him, what are we supposed to do with this? Who did this? By what power and what name have you done this? When we need his power, we are living in faith. When we need his power, we are living in faith. And when we're living in faith, we must pray. We must become increasingly dependent on prayer. As my life has, has moved in this direction uh, dramatically, every day, all day long, I just feel burdened for things I can't do anything about. I'm burdened for people's hearts and where they are with the Lord, for things, for things they're struggling with, for things that they need. All I can do all day long, if I could, I feel this burning desire just to pray for the, to the one who can do something about it. Father, show me while I can help. I'm starting to learn what this looks like because most of my life I lived a life that was that I could control and that I didn't need any power to do. And when we begin seeing his mission as that thing, I can't do that any longer. I can't, I can't heal the person, only he can. I can't save the person, only he can. And so I start to depend fully on the person that can do something about it. I pray when I'm not in control, and it shows that I have moved past a life dependent on me, and I'm living a life seeking God's good. Over the past couple years, on average, there's about 30 people I pray for regularly. And it changes all the time, but God is constantly bringing into my mind uh, people that he wants better for. And as they're on my heart, I think they need to know the beautiful Christ, and I ask that they would seek to find him and be made whole. The third thing we need to fight for is we need to fight for a better understanding of salvation. How we understand salvation is going to determine who we think needs it and what God can do about it. Look at Acts 4, 8 through 12. This is how he responds. Who did this thing? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, underline that part, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
Salvation is spiritual wellness, spiritual correctness. It is to be as I ought to be, no longer broken but fixed. Have you ever recognized your sickness? Do you want to be made well? I think this is missed a lot of times when the gospel is presented or is presented to us that, you know, I'm, I'm separate and I, and, or I'm going to hell and, and so I need you to fix that. But do we understand that, that we're sick, that we're not well? And it's so cool as they stand that this man stands beside you well, physically. Now God can heal him spiritually because he believes in the one that can do both. See, his promise is not just to bring him to himself and have attorney with himself, but his promise is now that you can enjoy that life and that you can continue to live that life. Jeremiah 17.9 says that our hearts are desperately sick. And when we're sick, we can do things that are positive. We can do things in keeping with wellness, but our overarching disposition is that we're not well. Most of the time, we don't, aren't what we should be. Yet in Colossians 2.10, Paul says, says that you have been made complete in Christ. That I have come, right, to make you well. I often ask people, if you could be saved, what would that mean? And what I mean by this is, if you wrote down the things that you thought were wrong in your life, I mean in your, in your kind of darkest moments, I don't mean like, well, I wish my car could be repainted, right, or had a little bit of money, a little bit of money for gas, but like in your, when you're having trouble sleeping at night, when you're really struggling with your existence or your purpose or, or who you are or if you're loved, what would it mean for you to be saved in all the ways that are meaningful to you? So example would be like if you, if someone was drowning, what would, be, what would it mean for them to be saved? It means for them to be pulled out of the water. If someone is lonely, what it mean, what would mean uh, part of what it would mean to be saved for them was that I would be known. And I would be loved. What would it mean if you struggle with depression? It means that I'm not hopeless anymore, but I have hope. We must understand that we are all in need of salvation, restoration, and healing. And as we look about the people in our classes, on our streets that we walk by, in our families, is everyone that that you know has that need. It's understanding and seeing that. It's fighting for our idea of salvation that God wants all people to be reconciled to himself and it is because we are far from him that we are not well because he made us for himself. Jesus is the only one who is willing and has the power to do this. There's so many things that people can do we can practice mindfulness. <laughs> we can be present. The man who was healed, who hadn't walked a day in his life, could have practiced that. That's probably what they told him. 
Man, this is just your plight. Just kind of deal with it. Maintain. <laughs> Figure it out. Put a cat poster. Hang in there. God didn't come out of heaven for us to have to hang in there. He came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And we need to understand that that is what everyone wants, whether they know it or not. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. That is all the issues that we have, all the ways that we need to be saved, Jesus is yes to every one of those things. Therefore also, through him, he is our amen to the glory of God through us. You may know what amen means. So be it. When I yell out amen, it says, so be what you have said. Truth. Number four, we need to fight for time with Jesus, God's truth, and opportunities for that time to be redeeming for others. Acts 4, 13 through 14 says, as they couldn't question, as he told them by whose name he did these things and and it says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Christ. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. I want you to get that picture. They're looking at James and John and they're thinking, uh, Peter and John, they're like, what can we do? And we sit there and like, only thing that's different about them is that they've been with Jesus. Nothing. <laughs> They're looking for it. Born to a certain person, has special training, got a bunch of no. There's nothing <laughs> interesting about them except that they've been with Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, then they looked right beside him. They're like, oh yeah, and there's that guy that's not walked a day in his life. Oh, Jesus did that too. Oh, crap. I don't know what to do. Life change is the greatest apologetic of our world and for our culture. You know it, and they know it. If it is known, there is nothing to say in reply. There's three things that we all know causes change. It's because of relationship, it's because of truth, and it's because of action. Change comes through relationship, truth, and action. I'm going to turn back real quick to Acts 3.19. I want to show you where all three of these are present in this response. So this is... Uh, Peter speaking to a group who have been cut to the heart again after our passage in two. This is three, where he, the movement goes from 3,000 to 5,000. He says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The action that he calls them to is repentance and returning from what they once were, from what they were created to be, the truth is, is that if, you, if your actions will go to that end so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come 
from who? From the presence of the Lord. See, if we understand that I am changed by relationship, that every single person in this room is changed by every single relationship that they have. That is just truth. For better or for worse, for neutral, for encouragement, for discouragement, you are changed by the relationships that you have. Jesus is no different. You're changed by truth. That the truth of anything can happen at any time. The truth that I just failed a class, okay, well then that requires, right, change on my part. Any truth that you have, it requires change. And truth of the person of Christ, the person that loves you, died for you, this truth means everything. And then finally, action, that I've got to do something about it towards that relationship and that truth. That is where change comes. And then finally, we fight in prayer. And when they had heard this, Acts 24, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purposes predestined to occur. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant Jesus. That the men had been asked to end the ring and they got punched in the mouth. And the response was, Lord, you've seen what happened. Give us boldness to punch back. Father, teach us to fight. Give us your spirit. Who said those, who didn't say, oh, those people down there, they're not worth it. They are not worth the fight that it's going to take to bring them times of refreshing. says that every one of us is worth the fight. And so we got to learn how to fight. It's hard to learn how to fight. I know probably some of you have done martial arts at some point or done some type of something like that. And from those that I have known that that is a hard thing, like I want to learn, and it, it's hard to get, take a punch. It's hard to take a kick. But as they understand that that is part of the fighting, that they understand what that looks like and understand that that is part of life as we must. In their prayer that they recognized that God created everything and was in control of everything and they reminded themselves about that. They saw that people taught, sought to take credit, right, for what was going on. To undermine God at every turn, seeking to overthrow and thwart his purposes. That is what people are doing this day. And we understand that this is happening, and yet none of it transpires outside of your intent. Father, keep us in mind what we are saying, what they're saying and their state intention to harm us. Speak of him no longer. We ask that you would honor your bondservants, that we would speak your word with boldness.
So I think summing up all of these five things is we fight for faithful presence. That we stand our ground, that we understand that as the Lord fights for me, wherever he has placed me, in my job, in my classroom, in my family, that I am there to fight for people and for his kingdom. Because they need me to fight. Alison McGrath says, In the 21st century, it's not enough to show that Christianity is true. Apologists are tasked with the burden of proving how the truths of Christianity, Christianity relate to and work in individual lives. And how we do that is we show it by fighting. Finish up here with me. I'm going to give you some time to... Um, talk in, turn to that Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Talking about putting on the armor of God. Here is your battle cry. Whatever your uh, guys are a little bit more fired up about this, but I, I anticipate that there are movies, right, the females where you watch them, you just get all jacked up. You're like, yes. Where is the wall that I can run through? Yes. <laughs> and in every one of those movies, there's a speech, right? There's a speech that brings them, that just gets them in a frenzy, the frenzy that we need to get in the ring, right, and mix it up. The need to persevere when I get punched in the mouth. So we all want to, we're all capable when we're mad of just swinging. <laughs> but will we keep swinging? Will we keep fighting? Even when it passes that, that point of initial passion. And I think this is a call Paul trying to do this to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong. This is my character. I am a strong God. You are my strong people. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor, not of armor made by you, but armor made by me. Put on my armor. I'm your God. I've made armor for you. There are ways that I want my people to fight and tools with which I want them to fight. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is what is waging war against you and your friends and your family and all that you don't even know, that that is who we are fighting. We are not fighting against them. We are fighting for them. And so often in the church that we are constantly just fighting each other and we should be fighting for each other. That the armor is for that too. It's not when we walk out here, we need to put our armor on to love one another better. Fight goes on at each these tables on Sundays and our family groups on Thursdays. And when you get together, you fight for each other. I need that armor every time I am conscious. <laughs> Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the, in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with preparation for the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the boldness of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel which I'm ambassador in It's exactly the same thing that uh, John and Peter asked for, isn't it? That the people asked for, that they're praying for boldness. Lord, that I may stand up under the fight that you've asked me to fight and that you may give me boldness so that I keep going. And so here's what I would like you to do as we finish our time together. So I want you to look at those things, those five things, there's a slide, that talks about things that we should be fighting for. There are more, but we just want to kind of focus on these this morning. What are one or two of these things that you need to fight for and to keep fighting for? Not just once. Hey, Tuesday I'm going to fight for this, then I'm good. These are things that we need to fight for each day. So share around your tables one or two of those things that you need to fight for. We are... Christians standing on the sideline looking at the game. The Lord is imploring us, get in the game, right? Get your armor on. Let's go. As as we're looking at uh, these things, that we need to be encouraged that the church here, as what we're going to see through the rest of Exodus, we get to see a picture of the church fighting according to God's plan. Let me pray for us, and then y'all discuss. Father, that we are not called to just kind of a willy-nilly faith. But the faith that you called for, Father, fights. Father, it is active and it is present. It is aware of those around us and how much they need you. It is aware of how much we can't do without you, Father. And so, Father, I pray during this time of discussion and as we move from this place, Lord, that you get inside our heads the need to fight and to fight hard and to fight together and to be encouraged in the fight and to see others fighting helps us understand what that looks like. Lord, bless the time of discussion in Christ's name.